The following teaching is brought to you by Crosspoint Church. For sermon notes and other resources, visit go to crosspoint.com. So Paul's in Ephesus and fantastic things are happening there in Ephesus. Great stuff's going on. Uh, you see that the gospel now is moving from being this kind of this weird little Jewish offshoot religion to now not just Jews, but Gentiles and Greeks. And it's something transcends both the Judaism of Jewish people and, and then all the various pagan Gentile religions, and it's going everywhere. And he's like, he's in this lecture hall of Tyrannus for like two years. Great things are happening there. And you'll see what, what Ed just read to us is like, Paul gets done at the gym working out, takes his workout towel and throws it off uh, on, the, on the banister as he leaves. Somebody who's sick picks that up and they get healed. Now that's crazy stuff going on. I mean, we pray for people to get healed all the time. Nowhere ever have I walked out of the gym or blown my nose on something and said, hey, use this for your healing. That's what's going on. It's crazy stuff going on. Now, be careful with that because uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, you've seen this. If you haven't, let me warn you. There are some weird Christians out there today that are saying, just send us money and we'll send you the magic handkerchief or the oil that we have touched. Or like, that's, that's baloney nonsense. This is an outlier thing. The reason Luke puts it in here is because it's weird. This wasn't even how Paul did miracles most of the time, but crazy stuff is happening there in Ephesus. And we're also going to discover that great, fantastic results, people becoming Christians, hundreds, perhaps thousands of people are Christians. Uh, The featured part of the story we're going to spend most of our time on today is about seven, it's the classic seven dudes walk into a church and then run away naked. That's, we're going to see all about that in just a bit. We're going to skip that story and get to, in the midst of all these great results and outcome, the great problems that, that, that uh, erupt. Look at verse, chapter 19, verse 23. It says this. About that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. For those of you that are newer to this, go, what, the way of what? It's the way of Jesus. The Christianity wasn't called Christianity at the beginning. It was called just the way, the way of Jesus. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. Artemis is the, uh, was the, the, like the patron goddess of Ephesus. And Ephesus is a, is a massive city. It's a cultural uh, center and hub of things there. And Artemis was like their god, their god and goddess there. And so she was, it was, it was important for the, natu- the, the culture there of Ephesus also very important for the businesses of Ephesus. Because whenever you can get it, it's a little bit like American flags today. If you got that business, don't mess with that business. What's happening now with the way of Jesus is it's starting to mess with the business as people are becoming Christians. He kept many craftsmen busy. It means people are making lots of money. He called them together along with the other employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, You know that our wealth comes from this business, but as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province, throughout all of Asia. He said, the word is out about this guy. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm also concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis 
will lose its influence. And the Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her prestige. What he's doing is playing the patriot game. Like, we're good Ephesians. Come on, we have to be all about Artemis. And so, come on, it's our culture and all that. What he's really concerned about, his bottom line, is money. Is that many people who are becoming Christians are not buying, patronizing the places where the goddess Artemis uh, is worshipped in that region in the city of Ephesus. At this, their anger boiled. And they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis! You can see, it's crazy going on. Soon the whole city was filled with confusion. Now the whole city of Ephesus, that would be like today's thing, like the whole city of San Diego, the whole city of LA was filled with confusion. Not just the little area over here behind 5th Street in that area or the theater district. The whole city now of Ephesus is in an uproar. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater dragging along Gaius and Aristarchus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. Some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, probably they've become Christians too, begged, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering the amphitheater. So you can see here, the gospel's going out, great results are happening. People are becoming Christians like crazy, and all of a sudden now we've got great problems and opposition and obstacles are coming up, and you wonder what in the world is going on. And then it describes here, (laughs) I've got this underlined in my Bible, uh, verse 32. Inside, the people were all shouting, some one thing and some another. Everything was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. This is also called America in 2022. Social media, all that kind of stuff. It's filled with ignorant, clueless, uh, foolish and you can put whatever label, morons, idiots, crazy people in there. They don't even know what they're saying. They're just <laughs> confusion. And then it goes on to tell us the Jews pushed Alexander forward to speak. He motioned him to be silenced. Verse 34, when the crowd realized that he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! For two hours this goes on. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. Citizens of Ephesus, he said, everyone knows that Ephesus is the, is the official guardian of the, great, of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is undeniable fact, you should stay calm and not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges. And if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in the legal assembly. I am afraid that we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say. And then he dismissed and they dispersed. So what he says here is like, hey, guys, we do this. Legal stuff can be done here if there's really legal charges here. But this rioting here... And he goes, we got to calm this down because the Roman Empire now rules all of the known world at that point. And Rome made it very, very clear to people in charge. You keep things settled down here or we will come for you and we will burn this place to the ground. And they did it many times. When uprisings came, there was no due process. The due process was where the process is, we're going to kill everybody and burn everything down. So it's like we got to calm this thing down so that everything gets calm and everybody uh, disperses. Um, I wonder in the world we find ourselves in right now where there is great confusion and everybody's yelling and screaming 
and acting like fools and morons. Sometimes we, as if, if you're not yet a Christian, I'm just, you're here at church today, so I'm just putting us we, what we tend to do is say we have to fight with the same tactics that our culture is using. So if they're yelling and screaming, you know what we have to do? Yell and scream louder! If they're being irrational and being stupid about things, let's just be bigger morons than they are. Let's be more angry than they are, because here's what we're concerned about. We're not concerned about the cause of Christ sometimes in America. We're concerned about winning. we got to win. We're Christians for crying out loud. This is a Christian country, and we're one nation under God, and God we trust. So we're out there yelling and protesting, and... Look, here's the deal with Jesus. Uh, you'll see on your note sheet today, it says this is the little section called the disruption. Jesus is going to disrupt our lives. When Jesus walks in here, he's not coming as a coach or consultant to just make you feel better, give you a massage, give you a pedicure, and let you go out and do your deal and feel better about yourself. He's going to come and disrupt your life. And if he disrupts enough people's lives, <laughs> then uh, the whole city is going to get disrupted. But... but Sometimes I think we got to use different tactics to win. we got to use the tactics of Jesus if we really want to win the day. Not, not for our church and not for our cause, but for Christ. Um, write it down this way. We need to learn to disrupt without being disruptive. Write that down, then I'll explain what that, that means. See, Jesus also calls us, as if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Christ, to get out there and make a difference in the world. And making a difference from time to time, will mean that you're going to disrupt some things and disrupt some people and make people mad and angry. What do we do when that happens? What do we do? I'm afraid that we have decided that in order to get the cause of Christ out, we have to use the the tactics and strategies of a culture where we are in churches, in our groups, shouting, confusing, and clueless, not even know what we're doing. All in the, in the name of, we've just got to defend Christ. And I think, instead of yelling and screaming, what if we could actually do this crazy thing? Uh, we're, we're called, the, today, Christians. What if we, here's a novel idea for us. What if we actually followed Christ? And Christ's example. What if we actually did that? Not just sing songs about humility, not just read the scriptures to talk about, Peter tells us this. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a, as a sheep is before his shears, he did not even open his mouth. And he's the creator of the universe. He could have breathed on them and Jerusalem would have disappeared and he had been king. And instead, he just takes it and he's quiet and, and, and goes to the ultimate humiliation there. I wonder if we can start to see sacrificial love like that. And what if we could start being known, not for how much crazy technology we have or our amazing websites, and not even for how much we can go out there and win the battle and win the cultural wars out there? What if, <laughs> crazy thought, that there was something about us as followers of Christ that was kind of weird? Kind of like exasperating, intriguing, where when, when we get called out, when we get humiliated, when we get uh, opposed and ridiculed, what if we just did this crazy thing and did what Jesus did and just said nothing? 
And I'm telling you right now, it sounds easy to say in church. I'm just telling you right now, it's not easy to do on social media. It's not easy to do in the culture and climate we have. And I'm telling you, the reason Christianity won the day was not because they did amazing service projects and because they had amazing church buildings and all that. You know how they won the day? People saw them and went, that's different. When we make fun of them, they, they say nothing. In fact, that the people in the Roman Empire, they did all kinds of crazy things to women and children. They would, if you had a baby, you didn't like it, you just went and exposed it in, out in the, in, the, in the wild, on the riverbank, and let it die. And, and nobody would go, oh my gosh, that's terrible. That's just the way it was. You know what Christians did? For the people who hated them, ridiculed and mocked them, they picked up those babies out of the bank and took them in. They, they opened up places for abused people that were being trafficked and all that. They did all of that stuff. They returned good for evil. And they returned good not for people that were like them. They people very, very different than people who hated them. And again, there was a lot of people that looked at that and thought, man, what's wrong with those people? They follow this Christ person, this Christ. And they started making fun of them, calling them little mini-Christs, little, little Christians. And then what starts to happen is, as they make fun of it, they go, but there's something different about that. And the way we will win the day in our culture, in the midst of all the craziness of what's going on, and I thought at the end of 2020 it was going to be over. Maybe the end of 2021, my guess is we're in this for a while. And where Jesus is calling his churches to say this, what if you actually followed me? And not just talked about it. And let me just yell at us that are older here uh, for a bit. Because it's, really it's really interesting we're going to beat up on millennials and Gen Zs and all the kids these days and kids these days and all that. And one of the things we're hearing in our culture right now is that children... Uh, as they get to high school and then into college, are leaving the church in droves. And I would submit to you that there's lots of reasons for that, but one of the reasons is, is they've looked at us and thought, you guys don't even believe what you say. Why should I stay around here? Because you talk, you sing songs about humility and that you follow Christ who laid down his life and sacrificed and at every turn returned good for evil. None of you are doing that. Why should we stay around here? I just wonder, and for those of you that are younger, you could help us with this, to maybe turn the tide from what we have done, what my generation has done, and then loves to beat you up for saying you're this and this and this and this. You know why kids are leaving the church? Because of me. Because I will get up and preach messages about humility and I'll sing songs about humility and sing songs about returning good for evil, but they don't see it lived out in everyday life, in the workplace, in the community, in politics, all that kind of stuff. Um, how awesome would it be if it would just, if we could do that and, and be different enough, not by just amazing church services and not by, here's the crazy thing, we think, let's make a difference in the world, let's do a lot of good deeds and we want to do that, outreach projects and help people and all that. But shoot, Honda is doing that now. You've seen the car commercials, right? That doesn't distinguish us anymore. I'm not sure it... I mean, we should still do all that. We're still going to. The thing that's going to distinguish us is when people mock you, ridicule you, and target you, how do you respond there? To the absolute jerks and morons of the world that are in our world, some of them are sitting next to you in church today. How do you respond? It'll, it'll, make a, it'll, it'll change things. Things calm down. Um, and we, we said here that uh, great things are going on here in Ephesus. I mean, all kinds of people becoming Christians. And yet there's this great, this great opposition that goes up 
thousands of people in an amphitheater, great as Artemis, great as Artemis. If you're a Christian, you're going, this could really go south for us here. From time to time, you're going to have stuff in your life where you're going to go, what in the world is going on here? Because it feels like just things go bad. You go, am I doing something wrong here? Have we, have we dropped the ball as parents with our kids? Like, what's going on here? Uh, and let me just tell you candidly, for me, personal just life right now. Last weekend here at Crosspoint, we had 10 brand new families that showed up here at church. Awesome. One, a couple of them, one of them, like, they, they were just driving around looking for a church going, if you're driving around looking for a church and you drive back here and you find us, that must have been God. <laughs> <laughs> And people, I mean, I've got, I've got meetings and appointments with people right now that are not yet Christians or wrestling around with brokenness in their life and coming back to faith and coming to faith for the first time. People getting baptized, marriages being restored. Great stuff is happening here in our little kingdom outpost here called Crosspoint Church. But I'm telling you guys, the last two weeks of my life with the things that have come up in the concentrated way they've come up, I've never experienced this in, in being a pastor for 18 years. It was the weirdest, wonkiest, worst two weeks of just like, what in the world is going on? And so when, you, when that happens, you're going to go, your first thought is, is there something wrong with me? Have, have I done something wrong? Have I, have I messed something up? What's, what's going on? And certainly we're asking that question. Is there character issues? Is there unseen blind spots out there? Stuff we need to pay attention to here. But I want to tell you that sometimes the fact that there's difficult stuff going on is the sign that you're doing everything right or pretty much everything right. Write this down for me today if you want. It's on the note sheet there. Great outcomes always have great obstacles and opposition. Always. Those of you raising children right now, before you had them, great opportunities. Great outcomes we're going to have here. You can witness it, right? Is there obstacles and opposition in that? Like before they even talk, they're making your life miserable. And then they turn 13 and you go, what in the world happened to my child? Yeah, here in the church. I guys, I'm just, so part of this is, I encourage you to come out for prayer this week on Thursday. If you can be here, be here on, you know, be with us on the online link that'll go out via text. Be here praying for us right now. We feel like God's got great things going on here and there's obstacles and opposition and difficult things going on. It's fascinating. Paul talks about this. We're here in Acts. Flip over to the right in your Bibles to the book of Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16 Paul is writing 1 Corinthians, the letter to a church in Corinth. Put the map up here on the screen so you can see it. Paul is over here uh, in Ephesus right here. And he's writing a letter to the church in Corinth that he got started with these little house churches that were there. And, and in the midst of the rioting, in the midst of craziness going on, we're like, he's going, this is crazy. Like I wipe my brow and then give it to somebody and they get healed. Like, look what he says about that. He talks about, I want to come see you and come back over here and see you guys over there in Corinth. He's in Ephesus, he says. However, this time I don't want to make a short visit, verse 7, and then go right on. I want to come and stay a while if the Lord let me. In the meantime, I'll be staying here at Ephesus until the festival of Pentecost. There is a wide open door for a great work here, although many oppose me. So don't let people beat you up to battle like you've screwed up as a parent or you've done something wrong or you've done something wrong your bit. Sometimes... Opposition is a sign that God's doing something there. Paul's going to tell us, uh, Luke's going to tell us back in in Acts now, in Acts, 
Uh, he's going to give us like wh- where they go next. Acts uh, 19. Acts 19, but go verse 21. It said, after all this stuff was going on, afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia and Achaia. That The map's still up there, right? So look at that. Because he's over here in Ephesus. He wants to get over back over to Corinth, the Macedonia, Achaia. Okay, before going to Jerusalem, which is over, way all the way over there. And after that, he said, and I have this highlighted in my Bible, I must go on to Rome. The rest of the book of Acts is going to tell us all about how Paul is going to go from being the leader of this little fledgling way of Jesus movement that starts in Jerusalem, moves to Antioch, now moves through Asia and got over to Macedonia and Achaia. And he's going to go in, look at this, in less than 30 years with no planes, no trains, no automobiles, and slow boats. The gospel has made its way all the way to Rome. And we're going to see how all of that happens in the weeks ahead as Paul gets from. That's what the whole book is trying to tell us is how it goes from Jerusalem to there's 30 years later, churches in Rome. This is crazy. The Roman Empire that crucified the one to wipe this thing out, now has churches there. And the crazy irony today is, though you're Catholic, that's like the whole center of the Vatican right there, right right by Rome. It's just crazy. You You can't make this stuff up. The title of the message today is Naked Exorcisms. Now we're going to get to the stuff that's just like, you can't make, well, let's see. Acts 19, look at verse 13. This is while Paul's doing these crazy miracles, all this riots going on, but people are getting healed, people are getting delivered from oppression. It's amazing stuff going on. Verse 13 says, A group of Jews were, was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva. A leading priest were doing this, but one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. Who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Bam. We don't know what their motives are, these seven sons of this leading priest. It may have been compassion for these people going, well, there's a new way to do this now. They don't know anything about it. There's no relationship with Jesus. There's no connection with Jesus at all. They're using Jesus how they used the goddess Artemis. Just, okay, we'll use Jesus now. And you see here the name of Jesus, who that guy Paul talks about. It's not personal to them at all. They're playing a religious game here. And my guess is it's probably way more about money and power and prestige than it is about real compassion for these people. And this demonic being empowers this man and tears them apart. Um, he, he says there, the demon speaking to this man says, uh, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but there's two different words they get actually use here in the Greek language the Bible was originally written in and translated in. It says, hey, Jesus, we know all about Jesus. And Paul, we've, we've heard about. So they're not, the same, they're not paralleling. These guys are both parallel. You know, like we're acquainted with that. We know all about Jesus. And that guy Paul's there, over there. They're on our radar. Who are you? You're not even on our radar. You're a joke. Uh, four disruptive questions that I want to take out of this, 
account today that would be helpful for us. The first question for us is, is this. Are we even on the enemy radar or are we just playing religious games? Guys, one of the, the things that doesn't terrify me, but it, if we ever encounter a demonic thing, I don't want them to say, we've heard about Jesus and we've heard about this and that. Crosspoint, who are you? For your life, personally. You're called to make trouble in, in this world, to, to be people that honor Jesus and love Jesus and serve Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Are we just playing religious games? And it's fascinating here. Uh, it says that they, in this, they, they beat these, this, this one man beat seven dudes up so badly they ran away naked. Now we look at that and go, huh, kind of laugh about that. Like we don't have, we don't have Veggie Tales versions of this story. We don't have like our children's coloring books. Someday I want to make a children's coloring book of all the crazy weird stories. Like, let's not do that today. <laughs> I've, you know, I, I've watched a fair amount of, I watched the, there was a UFC fight last night and there's all the, the crazy extreme kind of fighting that's kind of in the last 20 years, especially whatever. I've seen a lot of those fights. I've never seen a man beat so bad. He walked out of the ring naked. Imagine how bad you got to get beat one-on-one to have a guy not just beat you up, but strip you naked. And now he does it to seven guys. I'm going, why did the rest of you stay around? We don't know. And again, we, we look at that and like, that's kind of goofy and funny because it's 2,000 years ago. Let's see the reaction of what happens in Ephesus when all this goes down. Look at verse 17. The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus to Jews and Greeks alike. A, I've just highlighted in my Bible, a solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. A solemn fear descends on the city about Jesus and about this way of Jesus. This is not like, oh, yeah, Jesus, he's your, come on. The, the, the attractional motive, just come to church, come to Jesus, and he'll give you money, he'll give you prosperity, he'll take care of your marriage problems, and it's just fun. Solemn fear descends in the city over who Jesus is and what this is all about. The second question for us to consider today is, are we, am I, are you taking Jesus too casually? The, the culture we live in, largely a, I'm not sure it was ever a Christian culture, but Christianish, Christianized, all that out there, uh, has stressed, especially in the last, I don't know, probably the last 40, 50 years, uh, this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus. It means that Jesus wants to know you personally. He's not this massive deity up there, up out there in heaven somewhere. He came here as a human being, and he wants to know you and, and be personal with you. But write this down if you want. It's not going to be on the screen. Personal doesn't mean casual. We sometimes, and here's the problem. Personal, casual, sometimes what we do with this is we go to both extremes, some people go, oh, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my, my best friend. Jesus, all this kind of stuff we do. all of that. And Jesus is just like just this good buddy of mine. We just hang out. We're casual and flipping about that. 
Uh, the other side of this goes too far with it and goes, no, Jesus is to be revered and honored and supposed to be terrified of Jesus and scared and all that kind of stuff. Both sides miss it completely. The book of Psalm uh, chapter 2, the second song in Psalm 2 says this, rejoice with trembling before God. Rejoice with trembling. So I think there's a bit of this that you shouldn't be terrified of Jesus, but you probably ought to be a little scared. And I'm not just telling you that to get you to act better and behave better. Because every when, when Jesus shows up, not as a human being uh, with all of his glory behind him and all that kind of stuff, when Jesus shows up and his glory is revealed, every time God shows up like that or Jesus shows up like that, you know what happens to people? They fall down like they're dead. Revelation, we're doing a Revelation series coming up in, in this fall. And John is on this rocky island called Patmos. And says, I was in the spirit that day, just worshiping Jesus. And all of a sudden I heard a loud roar behind me. I looked around and I saw this vision of Jesus. And most of us think that'd be awesome if Jesus would just appear to me. I don't think so. Not in our state right now. We need to have God do some things to glorify and transform us. Not how we are now, because John said, I fell down and I just feel like I was dead. He said, it knocked me out. Just what I saw, just... So, this will come up on the screen. If we're too casual, no one will take Jesus seriously. And we think that the, the mode of reaching people for Christ today is just be cool. Be fun. Have amazing bands and have amazing communication, have amazing ministries and have great, great kind of programs all out there. And again, we guess we want to do all that. But what the world is looking for is, is it really real? And the way people are going to know it's really real is because we take Jesus seriously here. We don't. And what taking Jesus seriously means is there's a sense of worship and reverence for him. There's also a sense of this, that what it means to fear God is when God says jump, we say how high on the way up, even I don't like it. Even when I think it's stupid and ridiculous, his stances on morality, his stances on money, what he, what he tells us about returning good for evil and being quiet when we're persecuted and opposed, I don't like it. I think it's dumb, it's ridiculous, but he's God and I'm not. It says there was solemn fear. The stuff is real. And look what happens here. Many people become Christians. Look down at verse 20. So the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. You would think, wouldn't this shut things down? Guys getting beat up naked? Wouldn't that go, oh? I think our world's looking for it. Ephesus was looking for it. They'd seen empty religion, people just playing religious games and incantations and formula religion, and all of a sudden went, dang, that's real. That over there is real. Are we taking Jesus too casually? I want to encourage you this week uh, on the inside of that program you have, there's a section there called Intersect. And we've just put like eight or nine verses there that talk about what it means to take God seriously, what it means to fear God. And it's not going to be just the, the verses on let's scare people to death to get them to fear God. It's going to be all about here's how it's, why it's awesome for you to fear God, what it'll do for your life, what it'll do for your kids, what it'll do for your city, what it'll do for your nation if the people who call themselves Christians, and look at me for a second, this is not for America. This is for people who are part of the kingdom of God. People who call them Christians would actually take Jesus seriously. Then maybe the rest of the world would look at us like we're not a joke. Like maybe that really is something to that at all. Um, it tells us, though, in, uh, in, verse 18, in verse 19, all these people becoming Christians, it says, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery 
brought their incantation books and burned them at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars. The question here is this. Third question to disrupt your life right now. Some of you are deeply troubled by that because you were raised in churches where they did book burning stuff or you've seen in cultures where there's tyrannical forces that get in there and tell everybody, burn your books. I went to a church and we brought a guy in one time to talk about this. Back in the days, those of you younger here, uh, all they had was this thing called cassette tapes and albums. Didn't have CDs or any of that kind of stuff. Talked about bat massing stuff and you listen to the Beatles song backwards. It's demonic and evil and spells. Kiss was knights in Satan's service. All this crazy stuff they told us that they had no backing for, but scared us to death and intimidated us. And everybody brought their albums out and let's, let's crush them, burn them, throw them away and stuff like that. You know what we did two weeks later? Went and bought them again. Because emotion doesn't do this. Conviction will do it. And the big question for us today, is it time for a fire? Is it time in your life that there's some stuff that's in your life that it's time to get rid of it? And I'm not talking about going and actually having a fire. Part of the reason they burned it because they didn't have, back then, um, big landfill areas take trash to. You know how you got rid of trash? You burned it. Now, they did it in a very public way to say, we are repudiating this, this is evil, and this is terrible. I'm telling you, they don't do this because they're commanded to do it or because somebody intimidates them or whatever. They go, this is just wrong and evil. i got to get this stuff out of my house. I wonder, is there some stuff in your house? Physical house, maybe. Maybe in your heart and soul. And you think this is radical. <laughs> Jesus always raises the game. We'll go, well, kind of, maybe we should have some fires, burn some stuff up. <laughs> Jesus said it this way. Not just, is it time to burn something? He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, if your eye causes you to sin, cut off your arm and gouge out your eye. Uh, can we have a fire, please? <laughs> He's Jesus saying, look, take this stuff seriously. You can't mess around with sin and think it's not going to wreck your life. And so it's probably time for some of us, a few of us, to go, there's some stuff in there that's buried. There's some stuff, some stuff I've been looking at, some stuff I've been messing with. That just, whatever. And look, I'm not going to give you a list today for that. Because if you start doing that, all of a sudden you start going, oh, what about this? What I want to do that today. I want you to let God speak to you and say, God, is there something here that we just got to get rid of? And it's just time to quit messing around this stuff. Because here's the deal. Jesus will not be an item on your spiritual shelf. And our culture says, well, you can have Jesus and you can have this and that and you can have sex when you want and you can change this that you want and you can do money how you want. Jesus said, no, no, I'm king. Everything else that comes against that has to go. Now, it's not, uh, anyway, just let the Holy Spirit just take with that and do with that what you want, what he wants. It tells us there in these verses that the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. This, again, we now live in a world where billions of people are Christians. In Ephesus, they're hearing about this guy. He was a guy from this little place called Israel, we kind of heard about, what's a Nazareth? He's a peasant carpenter, and Rome executed him, and these people say he rose from the dead. And they're kind of going, come on, do whatever. And that, by the power of the Spirit and the power of how these people respond in crisis, all of a sudden people are going, there's something real about this. And the name of Jesus now is greatly honored by probably thousands of people in that city. So question number four for us today is, whose honor are we actually concerned about? Whose honor are we actually concerned about? 
Not what we say. Not what we say we're concerned about. But who honor are we actually are we concerned about my honor? Because you're able to do something to Jesus. Jesus, you're working for me. Fix my marriage. Fix my problems. Jesus is my life coach, my consultant, all that kind of stuff over there. And Jesus is working for me. My business, I got, guys, I tell you right now, um, the, the world we're living in right now, I'm going to be careful here. Because I'm about to offend some of you. And I'm not doing it to be offensive, but I'm about to. So just stay with me here for a bit. Are we concerned about the kingdom of God or the victory of our political party? And I'm telling you right now, churches have been, have, have, have forfeited their mission when you think it's all about the victory of a donkey or an elephant. We have this thing called the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, the whole for which it stands. And then after for which it stands, what's the next words? One nation under God. I'm telling you, if we're not careful here, especially in the world we live in right here, right now, what it's supposed to be is one nation under God. And what we're doing right now in America, in all kinds of churches, both conservatives and liberals are doing this, not one nation under God, one God under nation. And let's make sure we have to use Jesus and use God in scripture to make sure our party wins. Jesus could care less who sits in that White House. Who he cares about is who's on the throne of your life. So if you're offended, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be offensive. Um, and even for us as a church, because I'm, my hope and dream and prayer for us is that we're not concerned about the honor of Cross Point Church. What we're concerned about is the honor of Jesus. If people could be concerned with the honor of Jesus, how awesome would it be to go, look, what you think about me or think about our buildings or our parking or our coffee or our kids' men check-ins and how long that takes? Again, we, we want to be an awesome church, but honestly, I'm far more, far more passionate about every single person who walks in here encountering Jesus. And you know how they encounter Jesus in worship and prayer? But again, Jesus said it this way. His disciples came to him and said, hey, show us the Father. Show us the Father. Show us God the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. People today are saying, show us Jesus. Show us Jesus. You know what Jesus is saying? When you see my church, you see me. Oops. I go look at my Denise all the time. So I think, Why in the world would God put that in our hands? And yet somehow, some way, are we concerned about Jesus' honor? Or are we just into it for our, for our own selves, our own stuff. In Mark chapter 9, there's a, a story of, of Jesus coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And he comes down to the Mount of Transfiguration. He had been transfigured. They've seen his glory and all that stuff. And then there's this whole squabble going on down at the foot of the mountain. Look at verse 15. It says, When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe, and they ran to greet him. This is our mission as a church. To help people not see Crosspoint and see our programs. To help people see Jesus as clearly as we can. And if they actually see Jesus, you know what happens? They'll see Jesus. Number two, they'll be stunned by Jesus. We have no ability to stun anybody. No ability to overwhelm with people how awesome, how amazing, fantastic we are. 
Please, that's a, that's a fool's game for us to make people think how cool and crazy and amazing I am, Crosspoint is, our ministries and programs. If we help them see Jesus and be stunned by Jesus, you know what they do next? They sprint and they run, not away, but they run to Jesus. What if we, that could be true for us? What would be true for us? The band's going to come up right now. I'm done offending you. <laughs> We're going to sing some songs today to Jesus and about Jesus. In fact, the whole idea of taking God seriously and taking God casually, we're going to sing a song. We're going to wrap it up today, an old school song called Awesome God. And in our culture, you know what awesome means? Your tacos are awesome. Your team's awesome. Your kids are awesome. Playing third chair in the elementary school band, awesome. We've kind of overused that word, awesome, 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 awesome. We're going to sing about awesome, that God is like crazy, scary awesome. Buckle your knees a little bit and knock you out sometimes once in a while. We're going to give you the opportunity to come and receive prayer. Our prayer team is at the back of the house today, uh, back there. If you have stuff going on in your heart and soul and mind today and you need prayer for anything, our prayer team is right back there, and they will pray with you and pray for you about whatever you need. People beginning up moving around the house, also coming to places of, of communion. It's a piece of bread that symbolizes the body of Jesus and some juice that symbolizes his blood. And as you come to that today, there's all kinds of things that can be in your mind and heart and soul. We remind you about Jesus all the time. And maybe the reminder today is this. In a world that is confusing and yelling and has no idea what's going on, the body and blood of Jesus is the, not just the means of our salvation, but it's the means of reaching the world that his followers would actually do that same thing that he did. And just be quiet. When we're persecuted, when we're opposed, and watch the world go, what is that? Jesus today, we love you. We worship you today. God, by your Holy Spirit, there's some stuff that you need to deal with in our heart and soul today. So just before we walk out into the heat again in this room, speak, God, because we're listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. For more resources, check out go to crosspoint.com.